how do we understand what the purpose of the church is? And I think in our own age, uh, there's more than one answer to that. Traditionally, we've understood it on one level to be a place where everybody pats everybody else into shape. Uh, traditionally, we've understood it to be a place where we, we labor to convert people to the deep things of Christian faith and belief. We exist also for the purpose of um, presenting to the world uh, our vision of the principles of the kingdom of God. And sometimes different congregations and different denominations have emphasized one or the other of those things. And so we've created, which is the human tendency for black and white thinking to say, this is the way it ought to be, this is the way it ought to be, this is the way it ought to be, and in fact, it ought to be all those ways. But today, we have two readings, one from 1 Timothy and another from the Gospel that have something to do with the processes of conversion and who the church is for. So I thought I'd preach on those two readings and say some things about uh, 1 Timothy. Over the last few months, I've talked a lot about Paul's writings, and I've given you maybe more biblical scholarship than you thought was absolutely necessary. But I'll do it again and say that um, there are 13 uh, texts in the New Testament that are attributed to Paul. And most biblical scholars believe that seven of them are undoubtedly Pauline. And the others, there's some ambiguity. And First and Second Tim Timothy is uh, one of the locations for some doubt about these matters. Why would they care? Well, first of all, it describes in First and Second Timothy's a way of being church that is different than the uh, Pauline letters that we would say are authentic. That is to say, by then we're talking about bishops, priests, and deacons. We have some sort of a formed uh, idea of the nature of church. And the early Pauline letters or the authentic letters don't spend much time on that. But today, if you were to look in this, this, this epistle for an example of supporting its authentic Pauline-ness, it would be this, this passage. Because whoever wrote it is completely lined up with the apostle. The way, the way he speaks, the way he understands what the nature of conversion is in terms of Paul's own interior emotional, spiritual, and mental states. And he describes the purpose of his own conversion in a way that is consistent with Paul's own outlook about why God chose him as an apostle. And so he's concerned now to speak about this kind of thing. When I first became an Episcopalian, we were using, uh, this last Wednesday, we had a, um, a day with the bishop on the liturgy. And uh, we were talking about this, and even she and her generation of clergy referred to the 1928 or the 1979 prayer book as the new prayer book. <laughs> When I became an Episcopalian, the prayer book was the 1928 prayer book. And in the uh, Eucharistic liturgy, there is something called the comfortable words that are said after the general confession. 
in the liturgy. And uh, this is a true saying and worthy of all men to be believed that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And I don't know why, but when I was a young man, I just loved that. I felt good about that, you know? One of the people at the day said he was upset about the fact that there's just too much talk, uh, even in the present prayer book, about sin. And I don't know what to say about that. There may be. But my grandfather told me a story once about many years ago, uh, in the 1920s, uh, one of his colleagues went to church and came back and said, well, you know, I went to this new church on Sunday, and my grandfather said, well, what did the preacher preach about? And he said, the preacher preached about sin. And my grandfather said, well, what did he say? He was against it. <laughs> right? And clearly St. Paul is against it. But really what Paul is talking about today are the processes of God at work in his own heart and in his own predisposition to say something about how God is now preparing him to be a transparency and a reflection of God's grace and love. And by virtue of that, he understands that he becomes an instrument of God's work. And not only is it something unique to him, but something that he can commend to other people. And you hear me say to you all the time that it's important for us to learn something about how to be uh, a disciple, and that this involves the processes of God. And Paul says in today's reading that he is being prepared so that others might come to believe. So you've heard me say this to you before, that someday, one of the greatest things that could happen to any of us who are at least halfway serious about our commitments would be if someone came up to you and said, I have noticed you, I've seen how you operate, how you are, and I would like to get what you have. Could you help me? And then you have the opportunity to share with them your greatest place of safety and assurance. And you may do it in such a way as to never use one religious term at all. But that you are commending to them what it means to be the best human being that you can be. And those things are not inconsistent with being a good Christian. So Paul is speaking today about being an instrument of God's purposes so that others might come to believe. Now, he may be a little bit more hard-edged from time to time than you and I are inclined to be, right? And we may say, yeah, but uh, for most of this, you can count me out. But I think today he's speaking about something that is accessible in the way that I've described. This reading focuses itself very much on the individual's processes towards belief. Conversion is often described in classical terms, and the few people who have written about it in Christianity in any detail, Paul is one, but so is St. Augustine, is that uh, what happens is this. There are uh, four things that happen to a person. See if this has ever occurred to you. Maybe not all four at once, 
but this is the kind of thing that involves the processes of conversion. You might even be able to understand it in terms of um, coming to a vocational understanding about what you think it is you ought to be doing in the world. The first is a disorientation. The feeling of being kind of knocked off your pins or all of the familiar reference points have somehow got shifted on you and you're in a, in a state of some confusion. The second is that as the result of that, you, you feel compelled to do some serious thinking about your personal history. You begin to look back and see uh, behaviorally, <coughs> other ways, relationally, um, focusing on your internal spiritual, mental, and emotional states, uh, what it is that you've done in your life, and to do some kind of serious thinking about that. And in the process, the third thing is that you believe that there is some outside force that is at work in you that is going to assist you in this process. And then finally, uh, there is this sense of relief that you feel now that you have reached some new level of understanding about God's will and purpose for you. Some sense of equilibrium. And more to the point, you're now prepared to be the transparency and a reflection of God's grace and love in a deeper and fuller way. So Augustine talks about this, Paul talks about this, other writers of less stature, maybe, if that's the right way to say it, also talk about these processes of conversion in their life. So that's what Paul is at pains to speak about today. Now, both Paul and Luke are speaking out of a concrete pastoral situation within their communities. And Luke today, I think, is struggling with an issue that is probably part of the community out of which his gospel emerged, and that is who's in and who's out, who's worthy and not worthy, where can we see uh, in a reliable sense um, God's presence, and who can be for us a transparency and a reflection of God's grace and love. These two parables, the parable of the uh, shepherd, who goes and finds the lost sheep, and the woman who has lost a coin and discovers the coin, are both uh, parables that follow on the prodigal son, which is another parable about lost and found, and being saved in some way. And so we have two disreputable that's the right term, individuals who are now God in each of the parables. God, a shepherd, one of the most dissolute group of people in the ancient Near East. Very hard to understand this. They're already, uh, the readers and listeners are a little bit upset because in the infancy narrative in Luke's gospel, the shepherds also loom large, and they're not a very savory group in most people's view. And the idea that a woman would be able to, in some way, be an exemplar of uh, understanding how God's presence works, the labor that you go through to seek and find. And that means that the processes in the life of the community that we go through to sustain and support one another on one level, but also to make sure that we labor together to reach some kind of a self-understanding about who we are and what our mission is. That would have been a hard sell as well. 
And in Luke's gospel, he is clear about the fact that both of those are examples of God's work in the world. And that we should be prepared to see it in places that we normally uh, don't believe it's going to come to us. I think that the reading from the gospel is a more corporate understanding of the purpose of the church. It's always in every age important for us to listen to the voices that in the past have been in some way maybe one down and to be able to say that uh, they have always been present to us and we've not paid attention to it. Recently, I've talked to you about the Revised Common Lectionary and how in that lectionary, one of the things that's being done is that we're reading passages from the Bible that are including people and listening to voices that we hadn't heard to the degree that we now hear them in our lectionary. And that's for the purpose of seeing that uh, everybody makes a contribution and always have. It just depends on who's focusing our attention, doesn't it? So this week, Think about the processes of conversion at work in you. Think about what it means to um, be prepared so that others might come to believe. Look for individuals who may be uh, bringing to you a new insight about the power and presence of God in the world. And be prepared to listen to them. In your own life, if you need to labor like the shepherd, to seek and to find, or like the woman who goes after the lost coin, ask God to give you the stamina and the internal self-regulation to be able to do that. And if you do those things, you will be operating consistent with uh, the intent of today's reading. Amen.